this podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box to this episode. Patreon is a monthly subscription and you can cancel anytime. And PayPal is a one-time donation. Any amount is appreciated. I'm Rania Shatah and this is the Beirut Banyan. I'm Deputy Director at the Center for Global Policy. My main benchmark, given my age and when I grew up in Lebanon and when I came of age politically for this movement was the 2005 Mm. Cedar Revolution, uh, which, of course, was very large scale, Mm -hmm. uh, shorter lived with some very specific almost geopolitical objectives, yes. get the Syrian regime out of Lebanon, dismantle the Syrian inf- security infrastructure in Lebanon, uh, and I guess later disarm Hezbollah, get rid of Hezbollah's militia. Uh, and uh, that one had a specific aim that had strong Western backing mm-hmm. from the United States, France as well. Uh, and, uh, the, it, and it was also co-opted by powerful political parties mm-hmm. that sustained mm-hmm. their support behind it. Yeah. Uh, so because it was a kind of rebellion or uprising or reaction to a foreign occupation and a particular security system with foreign backing, co-opted by the sects, actually it was always more likely to generate a more satisfying outcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, are you and I satisfied with how things turned out? No, but it did achieve an immediate objective. Which is of, the Syrian army's Of getting withdrawal. the Syrian military and security forces out and bringing down the government yes. at the time. Yeah. For many reasons, things didn't go so well, yeah. uh, but uh, this kind of movement is something quite different. Hmm. Uh, first of all, it doesn't have as immediately dangerous an adversary. It doesn't have the Syrian mm-hmm. regime. It doesn't mm-hmm. have... I mean, Hezbollah doesn't like it, but... Hezbollah is not going around executing people associated with it like right, they were doing... Right with the first revolution. Uh, and uh, on the other hand, it goes against, and direct, it directs itself against the political system. It's not been co-opted by the political parties. They've tried a bit, but right. it's been very difficult. Yes. Uh, and uh, from an international perspective, it's, it's more complicated and is viewed with much more ambivalence. Uh, mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. partly because it's a different kind of thing. Uh, first of all, uh, the United States at the time when we had the 2005 revolution, saw Lebanon as a kind of vehicle for an anti-Iranian uh, policy mm. uh, and an anti-Hezbollah policy based on the fact that America felt it had anti-Iranian allies mm-hmm. in the country, mm-hmm. Hadidi and company, who could be the tip of that spear. Mm. Now, America is not the same anymore, and Lebanon no longer occupies the same space for the United States no one, I think, in the U.S. seriously sees the Hadidi coalition as, A, an arm against Hezbollah mm. anymore. B, the Hadidi coalition is one of the targets of the uprising. Right, right. And C, Hezbollah as such, uh, perhaps kind of at the level of political leadership in this country and policy, is still very central. Yeah. Uh, but within the United States' kind of security ethos and security worldview, it just doesn't occupy the same space anymore. 
uh, right, as right. it did, and it's not a priority enemy. You've kind of described what was helpful in 2005 and what is potentially helpful today, but they're not lining up properly in the sense that you had a genuine interest abroad in what was happening in Lebanon 15 years ago. And you had leadership on the ground that may not have seen it as you were saying it directly in that they're now going to lead the anti-Iranian charge. But they saw themselves as a post-war, potential independent, post-Syria Lebanese state reformers. Of course, this never happened. But they're not there anymore. And instead, what you have is something which seems to be better on the ground, which is domestic challenge to a regime that no longer serves its citizens' interests. And then, no interest from abroad. And if I just understand this correctly, the factors on the ground today do not allow for interest from abroad. That what's missing is the political authority that was there 15 years ago. So, I mean, is a prerequisite for international attention to have someone to talk to on the ground? Is that something that's necessary before there's interest again? Well, the the United States and the international system at large, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. the United States very much doesn't deal very well in these kind of gray spaces yeah. outside of traditional nation-state regime politics. Right. Uh, they have extensive relations with the Lebanese regime, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with the exception of Hezbollah, but everybody else, America has sure. contacts with right. all the institutions, etc. And the army in particular. The military, yeah, yeah, the sure. financial sector, yes, all this yes. stuff. Yeah. Uh, but then they see this this uh, movement, hmm. uh, which, you know, all cynicism aside, I mean, they're sympathetic towards, you know, on this, on this yes. level of pure abstraction. Like, right. okay, you right. want less corruption, you want, uh, fine. Uh, but, of course, uh, they don't want Lebanon to go to hell and, uh, and right. collapse. Right. Uh, and the proof of that is, forget about what they say about the protests, the proof of that is we have now a Financially, financial emergency in Lebanon, mm-hmm. presided over by a cabinet that, you know, uncharitable, you could say it's a Hezbollah government. If you want to be more analytical, Hezbollah-approved mm-hmm. cabinet. Yeah. Uh, and this is a very good opportunity for, if the Americans want to be belligerent, yes. to say, you know what, forget the government, let's sanction the hell out of the place, we're not dealing with this cabinet, forget about bailouts, forget about the IMF, forget about all this stuff. Yeah. And they could bring the place to its knees very quickly. Right. Uh, right. And that would make perfect sense within its kind of nat- maximum pressure anti-Iranian. Yes. But it hasn't done that. So uh, why hasn't the United States done that? Because there are interests at stake. What, in, so let's, uh, let's, let's explore this. What are those interests today? I mean, so let's, I mean you, you said it, that they don't want to see the state collapse. And I just want to explore this. What are they afraid of exactly? Should that happen? There's there's a number of elements in Washington, as I've realized since my time here began, uh, the, that Lebanon somehow has set itself up to get away with a lot of things that I think very few countries will get away with <laughs> in the United States. That Lebanese people do that, and the Lebanese state is doing that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I think it's a number of, it's a number of things. Uh, firstly, it's the military-to-military relationship. Yes. Uh, particularly... Based on the counterterrorism, mm-hmm. counter-Sunni jihadi mm-hmm. uh, operations, but also in the relationships that have been formed over the years 
at the military ministry level, the training, etc. Uh, so there is a lot of goodwill in the Pentagon for Lebanon. Okay, uh, and that's been consistent since. It's been growing. It's been growing. Yeah. Okay. It's been growing, and it has not stopped throughout right. this. And in fact, one of the main avenues of action and pressure the Lebanese took, the Americans took through this, is to put pressure on the LAF to basically protect protesters, or at the very least, not kill them. Um, right. Now, whether they did that or not right. adequately, right. it's a different story. But this was the American position. That's interesting. So there's some credit there that there was almost a you want us to support you, you cannot. Arm I believe there was pressure, yes, okay. from uh, yeah. from particularly from the State Department. Right, and, right. Uh, okay. uh, DOD cares a little less about this stuff, just mm-hmm. that's not the way they're oriented. But definitely, there was there was pressure from the government, uh, and I think that was probably probably substantial mm-hmm. and significant. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what what the calculation was. Uh, but you know, the Lebanese military is here all the time in, right. in Washington yeah. often, and they have direct relations with. Uh, so is general security. So it's kind mm-hmm. of what you mm-hmm. might, you and I might see as the other, like more suspicious branches or more compromised branches yeah. of Lebanese security forces. They've all got good relationships with the Americans. Interesting. Uh, there's one. Uh, there's two. I think there is some sympathy for Lebanon as. Uh, a democracy that isn't like one of the autocracies of the Middle East. Mm. It's not. It cannot be called a pro-Western country since a substantial population of the country doesn't like the West. But it is a Arab country in which there is a some pro-Western sentiment. Yeah. Among among some of the population, uh, there's also a big Christian population. Mm. Obviously, mm. that's important. And there is a big, largely Christian, but not only Christian, uh, lobby here. In, in America. Now, they're not mm. organized as lobby like mm. APAC is, mm. but they're quite sophisticated in their outreach and relation, in their relationships in Washington. And that preserves the security uh, instrument, that, that kind of relationship is there because of? No, no I think no. that kind of relationship is a historic, okay. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. historic originally Christian relationship with mm. the West, mm. but then it's expanded mm. beyond that right. uh, to include other sects and uh, other but interests. the fact that you have these groups makes America more inclined to, to secure or, or to prevent complete anarchy in Lebanon? No, I think no. It, it buys the Lebanese space that... Otherwise, they would not be able to right. get away with. Right. Okay. So a country that's relying on a Western bailout of some sort, potentially, yeah. is not a country normally that would have a terrorist group uh, you know, dominating its cabinet. Yeah. A terrorist group, uh, there's a terrorist group targeting that country that you want to help from. <laughs> with a military that cooperates with that group and cooperates with the United States. Right. And the financial system that's, you know, under obviously very heavy scrutiny by the United States because of the Hezbollah element. So the, what I mean is that this is a very, it's a funny relationship. Yeah. And, uh, and I think the Lebanese, it may be running out of some steam, mm. you know, as the Lebanese, if the Lebanese leadership does not deliver anything. But I find it interesting that in the abstract, at least, in principle, the United States position has been that there needs to be reform in Lebanon mm. and that we're waiting to see what this government has to offer. R- rather than them saying we don't recognize the government of Lebanon, full stop, which would be perfectly within their policy parameters. I mean, right. it wouldn't be an odd position, but they haven't taken it. So the fact is they treat Lebanon differently than Iran for those reasons. Yes. Uh, I, yes, I think so. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but rather than use it as an arm or a spear against the Iranians, which I think was the case in 05 and for the few years mm-hmm. after that, mm-hmm. I don't think it's a place where they think that we can confront the Iranians. I think that right. 
there's a kind of holding action whereby the United States can help build institutions in Lebanon that crowd out some of mm. Iranian influence and also demonstrates to the Lebanese people that ultimately, you know, Iran is not going to come and bail you out, but the West right. might, right. you know. Uh, and hence Hezbollah's, you know, ambivalence about mm. the Western bailout, IMF negotiation, things of that sort. So before we go to the IMF bailout, I want to just go back in time a bit because I many conversations I've had that go back to 2005, I think this is the first time I've heard it explained in a way that doesn't come naturally to me. And I'm going to delicately challenge you. Mm. Was America's interest in Lebanon in 2005 solely through Iran, that this is pressure against Iran? Or was it more complicated than that? That there was a, perhaps a misbelief perhaps it was a flawed reasoning, that there's a Lebanese state that could function and that the Americans could interact with that's different than the post-Civil War Syrian occupation uh, situation? Or is it simply more bleak the way you're describing it, which is we have an opportunity to push against Iran and this is a new way to do it? So, yeah, you're right that maybe I oversimplified it because I dropped an important dimension mm. that was relevant at the time, but it's not relevant now, which mm. is there was a Syrian regime. Right, uh, right. And not only is there no more Syrian regime in Lebanon, there is much of a Syrian regime full stop yeah. anymore. Right. And at the time when the U.S. under George W. Bush perceived this kind of landscape as a space occupied by an axis of evil... Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and its allies, yes. and Syria is included right. in right. that network. Uh, it was about Bashar al-Assad, mm-hmm. his efforts to kill American soldiers in Iraq during the occupation, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. character of his regime being mm-hmm. repressive, being yes. anti-Israel, yes. anti-Western. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, there was an agenda, you know, and yeah. Lebanon slotted very nicely into that agenda. Uh, right. And don't forget the character, you know, the character of the uprising was... You know, there's, uh, there's men and women, and, uh, you know, you looked at them in the picture, they kind of look wet, like Western people. They don't look like Middle Easterners, really. Yeah. And they there's a very clever branding behind it. and So it was appealing at, uh, at many forget, levels. It was an economist uh, uh, front. It was the cover of, I remember which month it was. It may have been, it may have been April or late March. Just this photo of a girl. I have it. You have, you know, democracy <laughs> stirs in the Middle East. Yeah. yeah so, so, so the, in other words, they uh, almost like a, these are people like us approach that we can work with this. Is that? Hey, you know, look at the, look at the, the historical record. America is only really ever consistently sympathetic and protective of those people. Uh, hmm. You know, look at, for example, what happens with uh, the Yazidis and the Kurds mm, in mm, Iraq mm. and Syria. I mean, obviously, Yazidis and Kurds have nothing to do with Americans. Mm. Uh, but uh, they are minorities. Mm. They are embattled. Mm. They are less religious or less Islamic, at least, mm. than their surroundings. Uh, more pluralistic, I guess, in some way. Uh, minorities. And this is a story that appeals to the United States. Because mm. this is how the Americans see themselves in the world. <laughs> Although they're not that. But that is their story, right? You right. know, the underdog, the right. the rebel, uh, the so the, the, they sympathize with those groups, and they so sympathize the with that, the, that kind of person is also challenging the Syrian order. We can work with that. Absolutely, right? Yeah. Right. So it's many things. Yeah. You know, it's never as opposed to a protester in Hummus, who's perhaps more religious looking, 
and is challenging the same thing. And he looks kind of like the other guy, right. and who is he, and what is it? You know, there's much more ambiguity. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's yeah. much more complicated mm. for, from an American perspective to figure out who the hell is who, mm. and who believes what, yeah. and why someone from Humps is bet, you know, more important or should mm. be protected against mm. someone from Damascus or whatever. Mm. Uh, so it gets lost, yeah. you know, whereas we had, I think, in Lebanon a compelling narrative. Interesting. Uh, as, uh, as, uh, and, you know, frankly, it's just a more westernized place, so... Right. It's, uh, it's more recognizable. And then you factor in everything you've described, which is a Lebanese presence already in Washington. That's It makes the story more appealing. Yeah, by not itself. just in Washington, in America, full in stop. In America, right. In America, right. Lebanese are at the highest levels of right. economics, professions, medicine, law, yeah. trade. They're, they're all over the place. So uh, Now let's fast forward 15 mm-hmm. years. I, I, I'm going to maybe go yeah, back. Sure, sure. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm going to go yeah. back and forth between the yeah, two. Yeah, as, as we should. Because yeah. I like yeah. what you're describing, and I remember it vividly. Uh, October 19, October 20, last year in 2019, mm-hmm. is more provocative. Uh, you have Lebanese that are coming out and partying. I mean, it's a February and March was not like that. It was actually mo- far more. Uh, it was a more sober mm-hmm. morning that Dark. turned into a, a month later turned into something mm-hmm. more euphoric, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Only when there was indication that the Syrian army was actually leaving. True. Correct. Uh, mm. But this time around, I mean, independence last year, November twenty second, two thousand nineteen. I mean, that was a it was a it was a party mm. in the middle of the city. Mm. But the Americans, I don't think, even focused in on that. They didn't even. I don't even. You know, I remember looking at the coverage. That coverage was Lebanese coverage. Mm. Very little Western attention. That's true. And that's yeah. less, that's a month after the protests began. Does that even factor into the moment today, or is it a genuinely, we don't care if they look like us, sound like us, want the same things? The the what we had in two thousand five purely lines up with American interests, and today it doesn't. I honestly think America is a different place today, mm. and mm. Uh, I, I think I think America literally is a different place today. Mm. Americans are different, and the, obviously the administration is different. Mm. Yeah, uh, and those. And things have happened in the region since then that also are different. Right. Uh, 2005 was still, first of all, of the many reasons, 2005 was still in the era where we perceived ourselves as a great nation that could do great things abroad. Mm-hmm. And we being the, the American the United yeah, States, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, 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 putting my American hat right. on now. Yeah, yeah. Um, that we could do great things abroad, and it was a question of us deciding mm. what should and shouldn't be done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, if we want to do it, it happens. Yeah. And in fact, that's what we did with the Syrian regime. We kicked them out, right? I mean, Lebanese did their part, and the United States did their part. And so that's an acknowledgement that both were the both layers to the story were there. Yeah, right? I think so. And, and I mean, I think yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, if there had been no international eye on the place, why wouldn't they just have shot everybody? Which is what they had spent the last fifteen years, twenty-five years doing in Lebanon. Let's go a little deeper into that. Uh, do you? I mean, this is. It's looking back now, it's hindsight, mm. but assuming that the Americans were in the same position today, mm. that they were, let's say today's re- reality was there 15 years ago, would you presume that the Syrian army would have just ended the protests? Assuming the Syrian regime itself was, uh, assuming was intact it's and the same, and yeah, present. just the American interest is different. Yeah, I think they would. Interesting, yeah. Yeah. okay. I think more likely than not. 
So yeah. there doesn't mean it would have worked, but sure, they, sure, they would have done it. Yeah. So the geopolitical story is paramount absolutely, to March 14, yeah. 2005. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, since 2011, essentially, just the Arabs have just gotten unlucky geopolitically. Mm. Uh, first of all, they got unlucky that the Iraq War had turned sour. Mm. Unlucky that Barack Obama had been elected president. Unlucky after that, that the Arab regimes clamped down very hard mm, mm. and kind of disoriented and disillusioned everybody. Yes. And then we had Donald Trump, who explicitly got elected. We wanted to get out of all the sand and oil and death yeah. areas. Uh, so there's that. I mean, there's, there's, there's the American ethos and the, the, the sense of America's place in the world has mm. changed. Yes. Uh, there is a different president mm-hmm. with a particular ideology. And so much has happened in the Middle East that I think... Really, people forget about your average person in Indiana, whatever. You know, let's talk about Washington. Yeah, sure. For simplicity's sake, people are just tired of this region, mm. and uh, there is some sympathy, but it's kind of like, okay, good luck. It's not. Uh, it's not that, and no one is going to commit political capital to it. I guess is what I'm saying. And right. on top of all that, sorry, just in, capital towards the aspirations of protesters. Yes. Yeah. But the state relation issue is has not been shaken. Because this is the status quo situation. I mean, right, that's right, that's right, a right. preservation yeah. of yeah, important yeah. institutional mm-hmm. relationships. Of course, the United States is going to do that. Yes. That's what the State Department exists to do, literally. Right. So that that, that, what, that is a consistency that's not, it doesn't change regardless of... Not unless Lebanon does something awful. Right, and since there is right. no Lebanon, yeah, yeah. then there's no agency with which right. someone was going to do something awful. Right, right. So, uh, we have Hezbollah, but they're already awful, I mean, for, right, from the American right. point of view. And not only is there, not only are those things there, the Lebanon problem, in fairness, is extremely complicated. Yeah. I mean, how do, yeah. you, how do you reform a, a regime like the Lebanese regime? I'm Lebanese, and I spent my entire life looking at this country and, and active in its politics, that you, same. I don't know really how that looks, Yeah. you know? And, and I always think about this phrase, and I'm sure the Americans are too, although maybe not in these words, mm. and, yes. which means, obviously, everybody means everyone. Or another way of looking at it is, it's either everyone or forget it. That's, yeah. that's the kind of... The well, that's almost like the equation. You're saying, I mean, I, so, I, yeah, you're seeing beyond the slogan. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what it means. And I think yeah. in Lebanon, deep down in our hearts as Lebanese, we recognize that this slogan, okay, besides sounding like a very nice slogan, yeah. which it is and it's correct, it actually is true mm. in a sense that if we can't hit all these things at the same time, mm. then it's not going to work. Because mm. every time we go after something or someone, it's we're going to fall back into the partisan division right. game. Right. So now, look what's happening, for example, in the government, that they're going to start opening portfolios about corruption and stuff like that. Yeah. Are some of these portfolios going to be correct? Of course. You know, We know about the corruption in Lebanon. We know it permeates all the parties, right? Yeah. Uh, but of course, not everyone is going to be targeted. Right. And, right. Not the, and many of the worst people are not going to be targeted yes. or are going to be doing the targeting. Now let's so, let's kind of zigzag through this. The that's at the end of the day a Lebanese problem, that only the Lebanese will figure out how they are governed, despite the best efforts of anyone abroad. Uh, that formula, whatever the thing, that thing, the intercommunal arrangement, um, seems to not work, and the Lebanese hold on to it as as long as they possibly can. Sure. 
And it's, if there's going to be any accomplishment by the protest movement, it'll try to find a new social pact that maybe is fit better for the 21st century. And, yeah. and if Lebanon wants to adjust itself, it has to do it on its own. But I like that we're seeing today a far more, uh, a far more passionate call for reform mm-hmm. that we didn't see before. Inside Lebanon. Inside yeah, Lebanon. Yeah, sure. In 2005, yeah. you did see snippets of it. There were people that showed up. I mean, there's leaders that all they did was talk about that. And they were assassinated. The first time. Samir Asir is a sort of the most obvious one. That these are people that were talking about social issues mm-hmm. within. Today you have, I mean, everything lines up for a Western appetite. Women leading protests, uh, vulgarity in the rhythmic mm-hmm. chants. It's so Western friendly, mm-hmm. and there's no curiosity from abroad. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine a situation where? It doesn't have to be this administration, but a future administration would see Lebanon the way Americans saw Lebanon in 2005. I can imagine it, but I guess the reason I was trying to tell you about the inner contradictions mm, mm. of any push to get rid of it is th- that that leads us to the question of what do you do as an external power to push your interests in a situation like that? Mm-hmm. So the American position has been, rightly so, I think, that this country needs to undergo some serious economic and political reforms, full stop. Right. Okay, we know what some of the standard things are, but obviously there are some uniquely Lebanese things that have to happen. Sure. Uh, we are not going to... They did not sanction the country. They did right. not isolate yeah, it. That's true. Yeah. So that in itself is actually something, Yes. in my opinion. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, I, I say that as a Lebanese person with a heavy heart, but I acknowledge yeah. as an American person that there was also a case for doing that in, sure, in, sure. in America. And there is that argument that goes around Washington all the time. And they've been right? more strategic in terms of particular... Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but what do you do about that problem? Mm. About the So what maybe you can do something about the Hezbollah problem through the sanctions campaign and the isolation. Mm, mm. But what do you do about this problem Yes. Uh, as an external force? You can... You have these very heavy very crude and very important instruments, very mm-hmm. dramatically mm-hmm. impactful instruments, like let's say they put together a reform package, here's the $12 billion you need to not starve this year. Yeah. Obviously, that's important. Right. But it's neither here nor there. And so, but what you and I are talking about. So this is like almost humanitarian. So, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. you know throwing a country a lifeline. Yeah. Uh, and our dilemma, of course, as Lebanese, is we don't want too much of a lifeline because then... It preserves the Then we have a moral hazard situation. But we want enough of one that we don't starve. Um, But other than that, what do you do? Now, this isn't to say that this is why people are not paying attention. I think people are not paying attention because there's fatigue, because America is in a bit of a domestic mess, because the president doesn't care, because et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, uh, And I think that would be the case anyway. But I also really, I'm also really genuinely puzzled by how you solve this problem. And I recognize what you're saying. Lebanon has changed. Mm-hmm. Lebanon is not the same place it was six months ago. And that's, that's, true. that's irreversible. Yeah. Uh, but I just don't know where to take it mm. from here, from a U- certainly from a U.S. perspective. Mm. Maybe mm. from a Lebanese perspective, it's a bit more complicated. Mm. But from a U.S. perspective, what can the U.S. do? So the Americans need to see tangible changes within Lebanon and also see their interests line up again with those changes for there to be even a consideration at looking at Lebanon as something worth saving or worth even investing in to begin with? I think if we do those things, 
All, what it does is this, and this is an accomplishment, ironically. Mm. It ticks enough things off the box for us to get to the Hezbollah problem. Right. You know, we're eventually right. going to run up against the Hezbollah problem with the Americans, whatever we do. Yeah. You know, now there's other things going on. Mm. America's busy, whatever, but Hezbollah is Hezbollah, yeah. and it's still there. Uh, that will always mean that Lebanon is not going to be a strategic partner of the U.S., in the region, right, and right. Uh, and understandably, it's not yeah. going to be Jordan. It's not yes. going to be you know, whatever. Me- meaning a uh, a, a f- pro Western personality running the show. Yes, because Lebanon cannot afford to be pro Western because right. it's stuck between million yeah. forces. Right? right, I mean at right. least right. Iran. Yeah, you could probably add a few other secondary forces, mm. but mm. Lebanon cannot afford to do that. Right uh, now, somebody will offer them a solution to the Hezbollah problem externally, whatever that would be, then... Oh, meaning, could, sorry, meaning a Lebanese actor would have to offer... No, a, someone from outside. Someone from outside yeah. offer Lebanese... This is, what, this yeah. is the dilemma the Lebanese fell into, and that's what caused the disenchantment with the West, right? Mm. It culminated in May 2008, mm, 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 where we yeah. basically called on the Americans to rescue us or from, yeah. uh, from Hezbollah yeah. assault on Beirut, and they told us that you're on your own. Yeah. Uh, and... After that, it became clear to both parties that this partnership was the partnership for that task of confronting Hezbollah was not going to work. Uh, was it that blunt that they called on the Americans? To, no. no, we created a situation and we thought that they would react to it. The idea behind the creation right. of the situation right, was right, that right. militarily the situation yes. would endure for a few days mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. cause political pressure. Yeah, unfortunately, Beirut fell in like whatever six hours. And yeah, that was that. Uh, so it obviously didn't work. But that they saw us as bad allies, or at least as right. of limited utility against Hezbollah. Given the circumstances, that's the only sort of window you can look at if there's going to be something down the road. It's no. almost like a... I think that's the... I think the, that's not the beginning of the problem. That's the next stage of the problem. That's the next stage. Okay. So Lebanon yeah. has always, for me, had two stacks of problems. Yeah. <laughs> Hezbollah and everything else, you know? So, that's, that's, these, that, are, these are big w- stacks. One argument has always said, <laughs> if you solve everything else, we'll solve the Hezbollah problem. This right. is, I guess, the FPM, uh, yes, yeah, yes. et cetera. I don't believe that. Yeah. But what I'm trying to tell you is, for there to be a serious policy conversation about what to do about Hezbollah internationally, some of the first package needs to be solved. Some, there has to be, a, a com- first of all, a country that can finance itself. I mean, forget yeah. about, it can't be a country that's constantly taking bailouts and it's corrupt to the gills. Right. Uh, and second of all, people need to have some level of buy-in to the state, you yes. know, because otherwise it's an illegitimate weak state. Right. It's not even an illegitimate strong state that could offer that benefit to the United States. Right. It's, it's weak and, and illegitimate. So yeah. we need to give the Americans a reason to trust some factions mm. in Lebanon. Then the Hezbollah story, personally, I believe the Hezbollah question is going to be solved outside Lebanon, not in. These two stacks, and I see them, uh, I had this conversation recently that, and you may agree with this, you may be the only person I know who agrees with this, that to get to the sovereignty issue, uh, sorry, sorry, in reverse, to get to accountability, to deal with the small issues, whether it's trash, power, water, uh, I mean, the, the, the basic services a government needs to provide, otherwise there's just no point in it. 
to tackle those issues, you need to tackle the sovereignty issue first. Mm -hmm. And I always get barked down when I say that because that almost assumes like I'm uh, dismissing every genuine aspiration of the protest on the street protester. And I think it's actually in reverse that all the good aspirations are there, but there's an ultimate wall, which is sovereignty. And today it's Hezbollah. Down the road it may be another sub-state group. In the past we had different different forms of this. But um, the I like also within that you're actually admitting that you have to have some accountability, some accountability to actually focus in on the sovereignty issue. But that in itself means that you're in a way the Lebanese are asked to reform whatever limited areas they can with the big obstacle which is this country is not a country and it's not a it doesn't make its own decisions mm. it can't even it can't even it doesn't even control its borders there's something about lebanon that the good stuff is unavailable so long as the basic stuff is not there that's what you believe. That's what I believe, and I get I, I see it. There's a usual sort of uh, uh, reluctance on the other side, meaning that no, 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 the trash crisis you can solve it without talking about Hezbollah. Oh, uh, the, I the, see what you, you know, mean. like in yeah. other words, uh, the small stuff you can deal with. Don't blame Hezbollah for the small stuff. Right. And I don't think there, there's not a direct line. It's not like you throw your trash on the on the corniche into the beach. You can't say that's Hezbollah's fault. Clearly. But the person who threw the trash onto the Corniche is living in a country that has uh, zero accountability, mm. right? And is used to a abnormal state of affairs. Mm. And Hezbollah plays a role in that. Mm. Am I, I mean, am I seeing it in a way that lines up to what you're describing? Or is, or is there actually no, that you can talk about basic services and sort of leave Hezbollah... I, I, yeah, okay. I'm not going to give you a satisfying answer to this question or solve your dilemma. Thanks. Um, <laughs> That's what I came here for. <laughs> it's artificial to say mm. that this is something that needs to be disaggregated from mm. the zillion problems we mm. have at Lebanon. Mm, 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 mm. Okay. You know, this is a huge, it's more than a hugely complicating factor. From, from political science textbook standpoint, forget about it. Throw the country in the garbage. Yeah. There's nothing to talk about. Yeah. Right? Uh, but also, history being what it is, there are different ways to build different elements of a state mm -hmm. under very different circumstances. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're under a foreign occupation, let's say you're in the West Bank or Gaza, and you're occupied by the IDF, it's probably impossible. Mm -hmm. You know, It doesn't mean you have to be a bunch of crooks like the PA or PLO, but it's not possible to build a state. Right. Because uh, it depends on the level of intrusion and control. Right. Um, Hezbollah is both. It's two kinds of problems. One kind of problem is that Hezbollah is a foreign, foreign-directed militia with an autonomous foreign policy and strategic policy in the middle of a country. Mm -hmm. Problem with that is clear enough. Yeah. There is another set of problems of Hezbollah, which is that Hezbollah engages in many of the same things that all the other factions of the country engage in. Right. The corruption. The intimidation, right. the crookery, yeah. the patronage, the sectarianism, all this stuff, they're Lebanese at the end of the day. They're not some pristine, you know. Yes. Uh, so so that's, that is Hezbollah yeah. and everybody else too. Mm -hmm. And they have more immunity against yeah. you going after them than the others do. 
Right. Having said that, they don't have infinite immunity. I am not arguing for, forget about Hezbollah, let's solve these problems. Mm. I'm arguing for seeing the health of the state and the health of Hezbollah as like interactive things. Oh, uh, oh so okay. So that one plays off the other. And that there is a set of problems in the country that began, especially in the 1990s. And, you know, with all my respect for Rafiq Hariri, and I'm an admirer of his, but it began at that time too, mm. under the Syrian mm-hmm. occupation, uh, that have brought certain le- things in this country to a level that's not acceptable anymore. Uh, the idea now that to do anything in Lebanon right, somebody has to get screwed over or lied to or bribed or whatever, that's not Hezbollah. And, uh, and right. that is, an, is very much an atmosphere where Hezbollah is a very welcome entity. But right. it's not, oh, so it's uh, not the way around that Hezbollah... I, I see them as okay. feeding off each other. You know, Hezbollah is part of the problem and Hezbollah benefits from the problem. So for me, mm. as mm. A, let's mm. say as a Sunni Beiruti from Beit Laitani, okay? Are you talking well, about yourself? <laughs> in, oh, yeah. Let's say I was a Sunni <laughs> Beiruti from Beit Laitani. Uh, is, why does it behoove me to go and vote for Saad Hariri? For right. example, yeah. the Hadid is not a particularly effective leader. He's not Satan, but he's not very good. He doesn't protect the sect well. But so why do I do it? You know, I do it because he's our sectarian patron, right? Hmm. And uh, that—that is what we're trying to break with the movement on the street. So we're not trying to—we're trying to treat Hezbollah as the same as everything else. We're trying to capture the part of Hezbollah that is as rotten as the rest of Lebanon. And that, that goes back to the phrase. Killon yani killon. But right. it does yeah, mean yeah, that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. The, the Hezbollah part about whatever, you think we Lebanese are going to do anything about that? We can't. But that, so, uh, okay, the, so but, but that goes back to the question though. Can you, can you break free from that sort of what you're describing, your individual who's making bad choices because he lives in a country that offers him only bad, bad choices, choices, right? Sure. Can, a, can you get that person to make good choices where the regime that he lives in is, to a large degree, not entirely, but to a large degree, hijacked by a sub-state group's behavior? Can you hope for a Lebanon that functions so long as it functions this way. I guess I don't see them as hijackers. Mm, I see them mm. more as a cancer. And one okay. that's eating up the country mm. because the host sucks. <laughs> Partly. Partly. That's really interesting. Not because... Yeah. Uh, and you, the only way, if you want to get rid of and start with Hezbollah, the only way to start with Hezbollah is to hit the whole place with chemotherapy for uh, but, whatever. Okay, but I... Okay, and, so let's assume that's... that's, that's and but, that means destroying the country. So uh, mm, that's, mm, mm. This, is why, this is why when the Assad regime was falling, I was in favor of going after it. Because I understood what would happen to Lebanon if we got rid of that regime. Mm. Which, by the way, I always saw as more harmful to Lebanon than Hezbollah, as bad as Hezbollah is. Mm. And, and mm. I knew what would happen to Hezbollah's strategic position in Lebanon mm. if mm. the Assad regime went. Mm. But in Lebanon, the only tools you have in Lebanon are to try to increase the health of the body politic, despite the fact that it's battling a disease. If they both interact this way, the health of Lebanon and the health of Hezbollah, if they're interacting the way you described, does that imply that if you can 
get Lebanon to a slightly healthier place, Hezbollah's influence by default diminishes? You, may, you create a more complicated operating environment for them. It's not that, I don't know if their influence would diminish or not. They didn't come out of nowhere, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. they gobbled up a huge portion of our country yeah. because there was a vacuum and they were better at doing the ugly stuff than everybody else was. Yeah, because I'm so, trying to see a, a moment where the protest movement doesn't turn into, I mean... Doesn't turn into an anti-Hezbollah movement? Doesn't, well, looking at October 17 and the aspirations of those hundreds of thousands of Lebanese in Beirut, millions of Lebanese throughout the mm -hmm. country, whether in Nabatiya or in Tripoli, mm -hmm. the whole country, that they don't need to reach the same wall that every protest movement reaches in Lebanon. That's a di because this protest movement is a different kind of thing and it's not going after Hezbollah. This protest movement right. is going after the system. Absolutely. And Hezbollah decided at some point a few years ago to cover itself with this system. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I say go after the system and yeah. leave Hezbollah at its own undistilled essence. What is it? Is it a militia? Does everything it wants to do in the country happen by force? Then let them go and kill everybody and take what they need. So in a way it's almost But like you don't give them space and breathing room in the system to act as if everything is normal. Right. And this is where I see the protest movement being very powerful and very bad for Hezbollah. Mm. And, and, and I do believe it is very bad for Hezbollah. Mm. Mm. Uh, but it's very bad for Hezbollah precisely because it's not about Hezbollah. And that, that's, what mm. I, yeah. that's where I see the complicating thing for them. Because right. what can Hezbollah do about this? Can't do anything. Well, they, no, I'll, I'll, so I'm going to challenge you on this. The, I know it's short. I know, I know it's only been a few months. So mm. there's a long ways to go before what... We don't know what the consequences are yet. Of course, yeah. But in the, in the near, in the immediate term, we have a, and you said it, a Hezbollah-approved government that was not there on October 16. It's now there. Hassan sure. Diab is clearly not the, uh, he's not born out of the protest movement. He's born out of Hezbollah's. Well, I understand that. Yeah. yeah. So, so, and even the current situation in Lebanon is not a protest achievement. No, no. Right. Yeah. So, what I guess I guess what I'm asking is, since this is a very unique moment where you still have people on the street, still have demands that are unmet. People went home, but they're still unsatisfied. Yes, yes. And they will stay unsatisfied. And they'll stay unsatisfied. Yeah. So the numbers don't matter anymore per no, se on the street. No. What but matters is the consistency, not the numbers. Right. Yeah. But can they get a regime that is more accountable while Hezbollah is defending the regime I see so when you say defending the regime so there's many ways to defend the regime right there's first of all just don't react to anybody which mm. is what our regime decided to do mm. Mm. for the first six months mm -hmm. until yeah. we came to this financial emergency right? right yeah so they just pretended nothing everything was fine yeah no problem uh, and there's go down to the street and shoot people yeah and as much as I don't want to see that happen that would be bad for Hezbollah not good Hence, they do not do that now. Yes, they, they of course, they don't to, want yeah, to do that. Yeah, yeah, in fact, yeah. they don't want to control the government either. Exactly. They want to put yeah, Hassan yeah. in front. Yeah. So, so for me, I see this as a kind of regime reaction and restoration. That it happens to be Hezbollah that outmaneuvered Hariri mm. together with the FPM is, to me, not neither, neither here nor there. To mm. me, this is a rallying defense of the regime. Mm. And mm. Hezbollah was the first defender of this regime when it came under control. And that made me happy. Because it puts them in a worse I spot. wanted them to admit that, to show that they were part of this system. 
Because for me, that's their vulnerability. Because that you can go after like everything else. You can't go after the weapons. The best thing you can do with the weapons, arguably, is have a national army. And that will take you like 15% of the way there. Mm. Otherwise, it's not in our hands. Mm. It will be solved outside the country, unfortunately. This is mm. what I believe. But if they decided they want to overstep, they want to go from the Muqawama in the south to another Lebanese actor, ahla wa This is where we want them. Because this is where we, this is where Kulun can be Kulun. Mm. <laughs> Whereas, so this is almost like a be- betting on that down the road, they're put in a more difficult situation and that that is the ultimate unraveling. Can you argue that their situation now is more, not more difficult than it was five or ten years ago? Imagine how complicated life is for Hassan Nasrallah now. Imagine the dream he had about what he wanted Hezbollah to be and what it turns out the day-to-day life is. You know, I don't know, know the answer to that question. I, I don't know if they're... I mean, I, I think of them as more resilient and more... They're, they're smarter, they're tougher, they're more adaptive, but the dream is dead. The dream so being what? That the, the, the Hezbollah community dream that this is something above politics. Oh, the sort of like the cleanliness yes. of the thing. Okay. Let, them, yeah. let them sink into this morass with us because they are Lebanese at the end of the day. Mm. And let them have to answer for the same thing everybody else has to answer to. What was their reaction when we told them, they sent guys to the street to beat people up yeah. from mopeds. Okay, let them do that every night. That's for me, music to my ears that they did this. It's only a small dent, right? Because yeah. still Hezbollah has very high goodwill among the Shia. It's still perceived as less corrupt, etc., etc. So we're not there mm. completely. Yeah. But we are there. It's just that perception has not caught up with that. I view that as their Achilles heel. The protest movement is the worst thing that could happen to them. And, uh, and this is... I really shajah 100% for it to keep going. Even if it doesn't even think about Hezbollah, it puts them in an impossible situation. If the state gets weak, they get weak. Hmm. If they think it's strong, they get weak. And if they get pulled in to the conversation about everybody is corrupt, that is a all very, the better. I've, I've, so you're actually exposing a few things I've never seen that way. There's a very optimistic message here, which is the, this horrible situation for Lebanon is horrible for Hezbollah. And if Lebanon improves, it'll be at Hezbollah's expense. And if Lebanon implodes, it'll be at Hezbollah's expense. So it's almost like the two are finally tied together. Yes. Hezbollah cannot live with a successful anti-establishment protest movement. It yes. cannot. Yeah. It can live with whatever we're in right now. Which Probably is, forever. Is, yeah. You know? Because we're, you know, we're in a mess and there's, there's no political forces. There's nothing. Right. Yeah. It can live with that. Mm. At least, literally speaking, it has cash, has dollars, yeah. you know, has weapons, so it's not going anywhere. Uh, but ultimately, all the scenarios are, are unfavorable. It doesn't mean I'm optimistic for Lebanon as such. Mm. You know, mm. I think Lebanon may actually go to hell in the process. Right. But uh, I think this is a bad thing for them. And this is the only place we can hit them at something they're, not, they're awkward at dealing with. You know, they're not, they're for them, when they see people protesting in Sur or Balbek, this is like, for them, I'm completely unfathomable yeah. that somebody would do something like that. In, but they've in, shown uh, to be very, uh, like, to not let that happen. Malish. Yeah. You know, look, yeah, there's yeah. a difference between being a legitimate party, even if you're not nice, yeah. and you kill other Lebanese when they disagree with you, mm. 
and being coercive, right? Yeah. Nobody yeah. can thrive, particularly in the dangerous situation the Shia are perpetually in in Lebanon. Yes. You can't, as a ruler or a mini-regime, thrive because you're coercing people all the time. Right. right? Even the worst people, like even Bashar al-Assad, has you know, genuine support among big parts of the country. Yeah. How did he do that? Not by shooting people. Right. So if the situation continues to deteriorate socioeconomically and people start to get poorer, and Hezbollah's answer to that is to shoot people or put them in prison, that's great. For me, this is the... For me, this is the beginning of the end, if right. they're doing that. They've always been able to get away with transcending yes, the Lebanese yes. situation. Right. I insist that they have no right to transcend it, because they've benefited from it, and now they're being protected by it. Right. So uh, I, say, I say, go ahead. It's and right. yeah. at the same time, you bring down all the other rotten bastards with you. <laughs> but but uh, right. that's right. A, that's an added bonus is that Hezbollah will get hurt. So that kind of also adds to this other issue, which is Lebanon may inevitably, un- this is an unfortunate thing, have to suffer more in the near future in order to reach a better place. That, that the pain is yes. not now, the pain is perhaps coming up. And the pain, we have not properly yeah, felt the it. The hardship yet. is coming up. Yeah. Uh, I think the main thing that changed is this, if you want to call it an accomplishment. Uh, and well, let's call it an accomplishment, to be fair. You, as a member of the Lebanese elite, mm. political, economic, security, can no longer do whatever you want without thinking about the consequences. The, right. So we've achieved, after 80 years of this political regime where this <laughs> never happened, including in a 15-year civil war, we've achieved that. So that's, account- and, that's the beginning of accountability. If, it can, yeah. if, the, if Lebanese people, whether they're protesting or writing or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. can keep that... Yeah. This is a huge accomplishment because right. it's the beginning of something that's never been there in Lebanese politics. Never been there. Look at the contrast of what happened in four years ago, I guess, during the uh, the garbage crisis. Mm. Uh, that where, was almost aloof. Where there yeah. was these group of protesters that had sat in around the Sarai, and the uh, Sarai had barricaded itself and mm. barricaded mm. them out for mm. the safety, supposedly, of the prime minister. And they stayed there, and then what did our politicians do? They announced that they'd solved the problem. What's the solution to the problem? They're going to do tenders in which they are actually themselves involved. So Saad Hadidi issued a state, statement from the Sarai. Alhamdulillah, and we're done. Uh-huh. And what did they say about the protesters? Nothing. Zero. They yeah. didn't even acknowledge that they were there. Right. They didn't even say bad things. Mm. which I would have at least appreciated. <laughs> so that's almost they, like a dismissal altogether. I don't think they thought about them. Yeah. I don't think they dismissed them. I don't think they, were, they thought about them. So for me, no, let people be scared of it, mm. you know, at the top of people. They and, are, uh, you're and, absolutely right. They're thinking about them. That's, that's a huge accomplishment. Yeah. They, so, may, they may not care that much, but they're thinking. That's a huge accomplishment. Yeah, it's true. Because this is how it starts. That's how it starts, And yeah. then you build on it over yeah. years and years and years. Right, but, right. you know, be patient, right? I mean, this yeah. isn't... Uh, you can either do it this way or you can burn the country to the ground. Yeah. And these a, are your, yeah. your two ways of doing it, <laughs> unfortunately. Absolutely. One is more satisfying, but, yes. pa- but worse in the long term. One is less satisfying, but it's more likely to create change. Yeah. And trust me, if this is the direction the country goes in, Hezbollah is in trouble. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how long it takes, as opposed to five years ago or two years ago, mm-hmm. one year ago, mm-hmm. where I could not for the life of me fathom a path for them in which they'd be weakened, mm-hmm. especially after Bashar was rescued. So uh, it's created some fluidity. 
So the answers are still in Lebanon, and Lebanese have to make those tough choices. Yes. Lebanon is too complicated a place yeah. to be puppeteered, you know, right. from uh, But let, from me, the let me sort of get out of that and go to the IMF issue, mm-hmm. where you have a debate on the streets, and I think, if I could say this, it's even a debate within Hezbollah mm-hmm. on what to do with this package. Uh, you do have, it looks like it's an inevitable situation that there's simply, Lebanon will need some form of assistance. And if it's going to come from anywhere today, it's going to come from the IMF. I mean, the regional actors don't have any interest at the moment. Uh, The Americans are, and you said it, there's a, other than these sort of institutions that are still, the relationships are intact, but there's no desire to rescue Lebanon from its predicament today. Uh, the Lebanese state has met at times with IMF mm-hmm. staff. Uh, Hezbollah has spoken against it mm-hmm. and also carefully acknowledged that it might be needed. Mm-hmm. Is, is there anything there that could prevent the bad things that we're used to in Lebanon surviving? Meaning, can this kind of assistance match the aspiration of the protest movement? Or is it more designed to simply make sure the regime doesn't crumble altogether? Mm. Are any of those answers available in Lebanon where the bad guys we're, we're used to will not have a lifeline through the IMF? I mean, I, I hope I'm saying this right, that we don't want a situation where the regime stays and the protest movement just fades mm. thanks to economic improvement. Because the economic pain is still the fuel. And people did did challenge what's happening within Lebanon. It would be a it would be a big sacrifice if a bailout kills the protest mm. movement and preserves the regime. Well, uh, let me assure you, for better or worse, if there is a bailout, it's not gonna be because the IMF likes us, right? There's gonna be a lot of painful stuff that has to happen in the country that the protesters are gonna hate. And right. they're going to hate it doubly because they don't trust the government anyway. So yeah. Yeah. usually if you have an IMF package, the problem with the IMF package is this. By the time you need an IMF package, no one trusts the government anymore. Mm-hmm. And the IMF comes in and gives you a million. It's not, you know, IMF is not Santa Claus. Yet. It's, it's a lender of last resort. And there's going to be a lot of painful stuff that's going to ask for. Right. I know most of it just yeah. by experience. A lot of people are going to lose a lot of money. Yes. People are going to lose their jobs, etc., etc. Yes. It's going to be very ugly. Yeah. And the protesters are going to dislike it, partly because they don't trust the government, and partly because there is a kind of an element of the lefty social justice which doesn't like the IMF full stop, yeah. doesn't like austerity measures, doesn't like all this stuff. But that's, so, I mean, yeah. But No, my point is that yeah. it's going to be, I think, actually unpopular. Mm-hmm, is, mm-hmm. Is, it's not going to make the protesters go away. Mm. It's going to make people angry. Mm, mm. And the government is going to have a very short period of time in which it has to somehow balance this anger with maintaining its commitments to the IMF. Now, this is exactly why the government has spent the last couple of weeks pretending that somehow all the cards are in its hands mm. and it's going to tell the international community what its own conditions are for <laughs> taking money from them. Uh, but I think either they don't believe their own BS and th- or they actually think that and they're going to be corrected. Yeah. That's not the case. Uh, if, if the IMF package and arrangement is to hold, the government has to do certain things, mm. most of which, frankly, I welcome. I mean, mm. 
with all the short-term pain, the structural reforms, I welcome them. Because but does that, does that hold, but that, does that hold the regime to account, or does it really just hurt the population more than the regime? I guess what I'm saying is, does it does it actually match anything? No, it holds the regime to account and hurts the population so, more so than the both, regime. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the regime will be fine. I mean, in terms of pain and right. and their yeah. own status, they'll be fine. I'm not yeah. bothered, I'm not worried about them. Uh, but uh, but at the end of the day, they have to perform. Otherwise, mm. unless they don't care at all, you know, they don't care right. about th- being thrown out of power, right. don't care right. about people starving, you know, whatever. That's a different situation. I'm trying not to be that cynical because mm. probably there are people who want to do their jobs. Yeah. And at the very least, you want to stay prime minister, you know, if you're uh, yeah. uh, Hassan Diab. Now, I personally don't think that this government is going to survive long enough for this to happen anyway. But okay. Uh, okay. but. So even if then, it's it's like a because it has to happen very quickly. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. we're running into these obstacles of Hezbollah and the terms and all this stuff. Let's see, uh, but personally, I think Hezbollah will accept it. Mm. I uh, I don't think uh, mm. I mean they'll make some noise about it being a Western imperial mm. thing, but what are they going to do? I mean, economics doesn't lie. But uh, then I'll ask it just in another way: Does this kind of lifeline prevent change from happening in Lebanon? Because I, I, you are acknowledging that the state will have to do some changes, some structural changes. But is that all that we can expect for the time being? That some minor reforms? No. And, no. No, look, I'm, what I'm telling you is something different. If they don't do those things, the economy is going to collapse. It's not about, right. it's not about reform as such. Mm. It's an emergency measure. Mm. That's when you go to the IMF. You go to the IMF when you don't have any more options. Right. And your economy is going to melt down. Otherwise, why go through the humiliation? So this and, uh, isn't a way to save everyone like from, from disaster. Worse disaster than we were we're already in, right? Yeah. We still have. Well, we're already in a disaster, but it's moving slowly. Without this, it, there's no there's no choice. It has to happen. Right. I mean, there's no, we don't right. have. We can't import things anymore. Our hospitals will not work. Yeah. We will not be able to pay government salaries. We're already not paying our creditors yes. in a country that is built on the fact that we borrow money. It's already a disaster. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, that will save us from literal and figurative starvation. Right. It's not going to do the things you and I want to see happen I see. in Lebanon. Okay, okay. But so at the very least, we don't want a central bank pursuing a monetary policy that, will, that doesn't make sense for the country. So the IMF and bailout does not necessarily hurt the aspirations, but it doesn't do much to encourage more than that. It's just a yeah. saving you from from starvation. I think it be allows you to build as a government your basic fundamentals of the macroeconomy. Right. Fiscal and monetary policy. That's what it does. Really back to the basics. Uh, now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's and then you're supposed to do these structural reforms that are mostly you know, you lessen subsidies, you decrease yeah. the public sector employment. It's basically the neoliberal stuff that we've all become familiar with, yeah. uh, which carries some pain mm-hmm. for the population, but ultimately is is better than the regime being able to run this rentier system where they uh, where they basically are predatory is predatory entities that are raping the country's economy. Yeah, uh, the IMF the IMF is better than that situation. It does not right. solve all your problems, no. Of course right. not. Right. And, and expectations need to be managed. And I don't think the government is managing expectations. I think the government is making people think that we are in a position to play hardball, mm. which is the worst possible signal that we could be sending. But that's what we're doing. And the longer they wait, the worse things get yeah, anyway. They don't have and time. They don't have time. They don't have time. Yeah. 
Now, the decision to default, you know, yes, you could agree, good decision, bad decision. What we all have to know, though, is now that we, we, now we need a plan. Right. Because you can't just default. Right. You need a plan. So, uh, and people are going to get harmed. Uh, and you're not going to like the results, and no, it's not going to solve all your problems. But there are basic scientific things that have to happen to an economy for a country to be able to sustain itself, for us to be able so to... So really we're looking at now the restructuring for basic necessities. Not basic necessities, because that's humanitarian aid. Sorry, yeah, uh, b- basic it's good... Go- fun- uh, it's called fundamentals, macro-fundamentals. Macro, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so does your, is your currency more or less... Stable. Right, right. Uh, is your government solvent? Can it pay its bills? Yeah. Uh, can it provide basic public sector, public uh, services? Can it import essential goods? Yeah. You know? The, I, this should is, said, uh, I should have said basic services. Can, are your banks yeah, yeah. solvent? Yes. Do people have access to their money? Right. So this is just the very, very essentials, yeah. the, the emergency things that need to be fixed in an economy. Right. Then the other stuff of sectoral, structural, legal reform, there's a big package of stuff. Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean Lebanon's going to do it. Yeah. So yeah. That, the IMF is not stupid, right? Yeah. So it sees Lebanon for what it is. Yeah. Uh, but IMF will come and tell you, if you want the credit line, you have to do this and that and that. And if you don't meet these, you're going gonna to lose the support. So look, it's a potential good thing for the country. It's ugly and it's not, uh, it's not easy, uh, especially when you don't trust the state. But uh, I see no alternative, frankly. I think you found a way to kind of, uh, it's almost like the puzzle, you've, you've put some pieces back together and I don't really know if I like what this puzzle looks like when you put the pieces back together. <laughs> it's almost like um, there's no good option for the time being. And everyone is going through a, almost like a survival mode. And it's reached the lowest expectations possible, where you have a population that doesn't want its current regime forced to deal with it to a degree, a regime that's not so inclined to reform itself, but also desperate for a mm-hmm. lifeline. The lifeline that really doesn't necessarily proactively think Lebanon has what it takes to improve True. down the road. And no other country looking at Lebanon and saying, we can, we can work with this. Mm-hmm. It's almost like all of the bad options, all of the bad decisions the past years lined up to this moment. Absolutely. I agree. And with that terrible situation, there are still decent people on the streets demanding of course. something better. Of course. They're the only hope at the end of the day. They are the only hope. And I think yeah. that, and for me, that is, the, that is the most essential part, that if we lose if that diminishes as well, then it's really just... Agreed. Um, yeah, it's... it's a, yeah, yeah, they have to keep that up. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for letting me record with you in the Center for Global Policy in DuPont. It's a, it's a pleasure to see you again, Faisal. And I hope we do this often. Sure. Down the road. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And a friendly reminder to help support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal. All links are in the details box below. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan.